What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 Feet, 6 Inches LSU podcast. As always, thank you for joining me. So in this episode, I review LSU's series loss against Auburn as they go down on the plains, dropping two out of three games to the Tigers. I go over each of the three games. What were the three big things that I learned from this weekend? How did my get right, stay right list do? And then finally, the SEC rundown. As always, you can find the 60 Feet, 6 Inches LSU podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, all the other major audio platforms. Check out the YouTube page under 60 Feet, 6 Inches LSU Pod as well as I'm releasing a lot of different content, trying to shorten up some episodes on the preview side of things, so be on the lookout for that. And then finally, don't forget the Twitter handle, which is at 60FT6INLSUPod. If you missed the last episode, I did a preview of the Auburn series, and then I also broke up that preview into two smaller segments. One of them I released on Thursday, the other one I released on Friday. So if for some reason you can't catch the full preview pod, those two smaller episodes, I plan on doing this throughout the rest of the year. They will be available on the YouTube page only. And those are usually anywhere from about nine to 12 minute segments, right? So I just kind of split up a couple of key items in the preview episode and just get those out to you guys as well. Well, let's get into it. LSU loses its first series of the year. They lose back-to-back games for the first time this year. Therefore, LSU moves to 37-10 and 10 on the year, and they are now 16-7 and 7 in the SEC with two series left to play. Mississippi State at home this upcoming weekend, and then finally they hit the road to go to Athens to face a very good Georgia team. Friday night, LSU wins the opener 3 to nothing. Now, if you listen to the review pod, of Alabama, you heard me, Patrick Coogan, and Matthew Musso discuss Skeen's ability to extend into games. How does he get past the sixth inning? How could he potentially get into the eighth inning? What would that look like from a pitch count perspective? Well, he did exactly that this weekend, and he was awesome once again. Skeen's goes a uh, season high, I believe, seven and a third innings pitched, six hits, one walk, 15 Ks, which is definitely a career high, and I believe a high for the SEC um, on the year in terms of pitchers in the SEC. So 15 Ks on 110 pitches. He was getting ahead, and he was finishing headers early in the count. You didn't see a lot of 2-2, 3-2, and two or three foul balls. Skeens was getting those guys, uh, getting ahead in the count and putting those guys away. I also discussed this in the Auburn preview pod as how aggressive the Tigers were, right? They don't like to walk a lot. They like to swing the bat. They struck out a fair amount of times, and I think they really helped Paul Skeens out in that regard as well. With regards to Skeens, you really saw his changeup working this uh, this weekend against Auburn. He, he even mentioned it on an uh, interview during the Saturday game that he just hasn't had a chance to throw it a lot this weekend, a lot this year, excuse me. And um, you even saw him back it up a couple of times. He had his two-seam working again, four-seam fastball, and then obviously he has a slider, and he mentioned uh, that he threw some curveballs as well. So really a four-pitch mix, five when you add in the two and the four-seam fastballs. But I thought Skeens looked great, and LSU needed every out that he could provide. I would imagine he's going to be the SEC Pitcher of the Week after that outing, and then I would also imagine he'll probably be the National Pitcher of the Week as well. After Skeens' dominant performance, you saw Ackenhausen come in and get two outs in the eighth inning. And then you saw Thatcher Hurd come in and slam the door in the ninth. And I thought this was a really good sign for LSU and for Thatcher Hurd. You've seen him kind of got put into that um, late relief slash closer role as of late. And I thought he looked dominant. He had great body language. I thought his attitude looked very aggressive on the mound. 
His velo was there. He was 94 to 96. He flashed that hard slider. And lately it seems like um, he, when he gets beat, it's because it's a slider up in the zone, right? He'll be 1-1, one, one, and then he'll flip a slider in there, and instead of being low by the knees, it's just up by the belt, and he gets hit, you know, for a single or a double or whatever maybe. But I thought Hurd did a great job of really keeping his slider low in the zone, and then when he was ahead in the count, he buried it, and those Auburn hitters had no chance. So I thought hats off to Thatcher Hurd. I thought he looked really good in that outing, and it seems like he's kind of carved out a spot for himself at the back end um, of games recently. When you look on the hitting side of things, it was really a one-man show on Friday, and that was the Trey Morgan show. He basically won the game. And I put on Twitter, I was glad he hopped on the bus to the ballpark that day because without Trey Morgan, I don't know if LSU wins that game. He was great. Look, Dugas leads off the game by getting hit by a pitch. Trey Morgan comes up, hits a two-run bomb in the first inning. And that was really it until, once again, Trey Morgan drives in Alex Malazzo in the seventh. And that was all for the Tigers as Trey Morgan accounts for all three RBIs. He had three hits on the day. Dugas had a hit, and then Cruz had a hit, and that was it. So there's really not much to talk about besides Skeens. I liked what I saw out of Ackenhausen and Hurd in their limited um, outings. And then Trey Morgan was the dude for the hitters on Friday night. And the other thing you got to remember is that I was wrong on the preview podcast. I thought Auburn would throw Tommy Vail, but they bumped their ace, Vail, to Saturday to match up with Floyd. So you saw Auburn throw kind of a, a closer um, in awesome. And, you know, he, he had a high six ERA, but he ends up going four innings pitched. LSU could never really string together any hits. They couldn't really string together good ABs, you know, it was start, stop, start, and stop, really the whole night besides uh, – the Trey Morgan show in those two innings, and that was it. And it was really a uh, theme for the weekend, unbeknownst to all of us. And um, I don't know if that was a little worrisome, but you saw some guys get off to some rough starts, and and unfortunately that just kind of continued throughout the weekend. All right, moving on to Saturday. LSU suffers the loss by a score of 8-6, to six, and it wasn't a pretty game by any means. But in my opinion, it was a game that LSU really let slip away and uh, looking back on it, you, you think if, if they do a couple more things at the plate, maybe if the pitchers do a couple more things, or I have some questions around how they managed um, the bullpen after I went back and look at, looked at it in preparing from the pod, kind of in the moment, I didn't realize that I was missing out on some things. And um, I just think that it's let this one slip away, really. So we saw Ty Floyd start, and he was fabulous to start. He was absolutely outstanding. You know, I think what you saw in the first three innings from Ty Floyd was his ceiling. And his ceiling is phenomenal. His ceiling, he could be one of the best pitchers in the country if you just looked at that first three-inning snapshot. But in the fourth inning, what you saw is, unfortunately, uh, what we've seen from Ty this year to where um, I don't think he loses focus. He just loses his mechanics, and he loses his ability to throw strikes in the zone on a consistent basis. And that's what happened in the fourth inning. Look, Floyd shuts down Auburn, and he strikes out seven hitters in a row through three innings pitch. So this dude was rolling. And this was the best that I had seen his breaking ball, whether it be a curveball or a slider, look all year. He was flipping it in there for a strike. He was throwing it on the corner for two strikes. He was absolutely rolling. And then he just lost it as Auburn scores uh, excuse me, three runs in the fourth. Yeah. So this is how it came unraveled. You got a leadoff walk. Then they call a balk on him. And I thought the balk was absolute crap. Look, every right-handed pitcher in the country does that with their pitching move. Our guys did that. They worked on that move, the balk move in right field, 
every day under Coach Burtman. Everybody does it. Every righty balks whenever they pick, just like almost every lefty balks when they pick because they don't trust me. They're not stepping inside the 45 degree angle or whatever is written in the rule book. Okay. And then you had the LSU coach who got ejected, right? And the umpire, it was just a clown show. The umpires were a mess that inning. And then, you know, Auburn's head coach comes out and he cries and moans about something. But really, after that, Floyd just kind of came unraveled and he couldn't get back in that groove that he uh, showed the first three innings. He goes a single and then two walks. He mixes in two strikeouts and you think he's almost out of that inning, right? But then he walks a guy hitting 160. And that was the end of the night for Ty Floyd. And his line score was three and two thirds, two hits, three runs, three earned, four walks, but nine Ks in three and two thirds inning, right? So that was, you know, what is that? 11 outs, he gets nine Ks. And we talked about it on the preview podcast, and I talked about it with Hunt Palmer on my weekly radio spot with him on Wednesdays, is that, you know, Floyd's average SEC outing is like four and two thirds, right? But he just couldn't get there and just saw some of that wildness uh, pop its head up again. Gidry comes in after Floyd, and he walks the catcher, Nate LaRue. And Nate LaRue, look, he just can't hit. The dude's hitting 167 on the year. I told somebody he might as well just leave his bat in the dugout when he comes up to hit. But this game, LaRue killed you, and so did the guy hitting ahead of him. Forgive me, I can't remember his name. But, um, you know, and uh, Gidry eventually gets out of it. But after that, you saw Coleman. He came in to struggle, and he struggled with his command after some really good outings from um, Javen Coleman. Then it was just right a turnstile of pitchers once again. Collins comes in and doesn't look great. Cooper comes in. He's not great. And Dutton, they all throw. They're so-so, maybe a little bit below average. You know, LSU, uh, Auburn in the sixth, they score four more, which is aided by two leadoff walks. And you think you're going to get out of it, right? You go walk, walk, and you go pop up, bunt. And you're like, okay, we're a double play away from getting out of this. But nope, the same two guys burn you again. The two guys who are hitting 167 in the lineup come up with back-to-back singles versus Collins. Cooper comes in after Collins, and he gives up two more runs. And look, that was it. Dutton gives up a bomb, a solo bomb. But nobody was consistent. You know, the parade of relievers didn't work this time. They just couldn't find the right combination. And in doing some research for the pod, after I saw, obviously, Ackenhausen heard through well on Friday, I got to thinking, like, why didn't they throw on Saturday, okay? Ackenhausen threw seven pitches on Friday. Heard, in his one inning pitched, threw 11 pitches. There's no reason why those dudes couldn't come back in the sixth inning when it's starting to unravel. Look, there's no reason to say that you can't throw Ackenhausen or Heard back-to-back, right? I know you got Cooper down there. I know you got Herring down there. But it doesn't mean Cooper has to throw before Ackenhausen just because Nate threw on Friday. Hell, if he's good enough to throw on Friday, throw his butt again in there on Saturday. Let him get two-thirds of an inning. Let him get you out of that jam. And then take him out if you're wondering about his arm or his hamstring, okay? There's no reason why Hurd couldn't come in and throw the sixth and part of the seventh. Then you got the other guys to back him up. I just thought, and I didn't realize this in the moment, and obviously they had a plan. I guess they were going to try to save those guys for Sunday, right? Ackenhausen and Hurd. But it's one of those things where if a game is slipping away and you have those dudes, just go ahead and throw them out there and try to keep it close. It's like the bird in the hand, right? Because then if you save them, you run into what happened Sunday, and they don't even get a chance to throw because you get blown out. So I thought they really mismanaged that pitching situation. It's hindsight, but those guys are in the moment, right? That coaching staff knows what they're supposed to do. They know who they have that's available, and they just chose not to use them. And I have questions around that. 
All right, I'll get off my soapbox. In terms of hitting, look, I thought it was a game of missed opportunities to really extend the lead early in the game, and it kind of came back to bite LSU. The Tigers jump out to an early lead, but it could have been more, okay? They score one run in the second, and in the third, Jones doubles to lead off the inning. Dugas does what he does. He gets plunked, right? Stop me if you heard that before. Then Morgan singles. So you got bases loaded, nobody out. You're already up one to nothing. It's the third now. Cruz punches out. White singles. You only score a run. Bases loaded, one out. Thompson, Beloso, both K. There you go. You got bases loaded with three, four, five coming up. You usually get two runs out of that in a normal situation. But this instance, you only get one, and I think that really hurt you right there, kind of killed some of the momentum. In the fourth, you have bases loaded again, albeit this time with two outs. Cruz is up, the best hitter in the country, and he grounds out. Look, Cruz just had a rough weekend. It's going to happen. The dude's hitting 460. It's rare, but it was just him to be off. It was just his turn this weekend. In the fifth, LSU answers back with two runs after Auburn put up a three spot. So in the fifth, Auburn is up 3-2. LSU gets two more back. But they put a, could have potentially gotten more, right? So in the fifth, you have back-to-back doubles, right? Tommy Tanks hits a double. Thompson hits a double. I don't know if you know that's, a, that's that weird play where Tommy Tanks is on third. Thompson hits the monster in left field. And Tommy Tanks, all he did was make it to third. So, right, he only went 90 feet on a ball that hits off the wall, okay? Then you go KK, okay? So you got second and third, nobody out. You go K, K. Beloso comes in. He gets a massive two-out hit to drive in two runs. Jones walks. So you got first and second, two outs. Dugas is up with a 3-1 count. If he works a walk or gets a hit, then you got Morgan, who's the hottest hitter on the team this weekend. But no, Jones, somehow he gets backpicked at first base. Like, he's not going anywhere because he's got a guy on second. He just falls asleep after he gets his secondary, and they backpick him. Just – that was just a head-scratcher right there, right? In the seventh, Travinsky hits a monster bomb. Great pimp job. At first, I thought he was going to pimp it, and it wasn't going to get out. But the guy hits it off the scoreboard. He just crushes that ball. You score another run in the eighth, but, look, it's just not enough to overcome Auburn as they put up a four spot in the sixth. So, look. Auburn, Auburn puts up a three spot, and then they put up a four spot. And besides that, they really didn't do it. They had a solo home run after that, right? But if you could limit those big innings by those guys and potentially extend the innings that you had early in the game in the first four to five innings, LSU wins that ball game, you know? So uh, it's just one you kind of shake your head at. I think you let slip away as you go back to the hotel, right? Those guys probably got to bed around 1.30 at night by the time the adrenaline wears off. They get back to the hotel. They try to eat something, right? And it's just an early wake-up call on Sunday. And let's get into Sunday, okay? And this game was an absolute mess from the jump. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Sunday because I'll be honest, I checked out probably in the fourth. I started doing some things around the house and then – I would come back, glance at the score. Nope, we're still getting our butt kicked. Come back, come back, glance at the score. Nope, still losing. So LSU gets walked off in the eighth as they get 10 run rules for the first time, I think, this year. And LSU loses 12 to 2. When you look at the pitching side of things, it was ugly early and it was ugly often. Unfortunately, Christian Little just didn't have it today. He couldn't locate well enough or consistently enough. And I'm going to be the first one. I'm not going to be a hypocrite because I have been exactly where Christian Little was. I have been that dude 
that did not get out of the first inning in an SEC game. Mississippi State, 1998. I gave up four runs, didn't get an out. Okay, it was horrible. It is the worst feeling in the world knowing that you let your teammates down, you couldn't get it done, and you just pitch like crap. And the only chance you get to pitch all weekend, right? You've been waiting seven days, and you pitch like that, and it's it's humbling and it's miserable all at the same time. So, I feel for the young man. He walks three in a row, and then uh, gives up a single, and then another walk, and his day is done. He does not record it out in the first. Griffin Herring, who's been really solid, he comes in, and unfortunately, he can't find the strike zone either, as he gives up two more walks and then a single as well. You see Gavin Gidry come in. Now, this is still the first inning. Gavin Gidry comes in with no outs. He gets two strikeouts and a ground out to uh, end, end, end that mess of an inning, and LSU is down 6-1 to one heading into the top of the second, right? So right off the bat, from a pitching staff side of things, you just don't even give your hitters a chance right there. And I'll get into the hitters, but you really had a good feeling after the first inning, right? But when you come back to Dylan Cruz and all those guys are jogging into the dugout, look at the scoreboard like, damn, we're already down six to one. And we just haven't even had a chance to get the sticks rolling, right? So it's, that's just a defeated feeling knowing you let Saturday slip away. And then on Sunday, you're already down in a massive hole against Auburn. And, you know, those guys in the other dugout were hooting and hollering and feeling good. So Gidry goes three and a third on day. Cooper goes four. Uh, but it's not enough. It's Auburn 10-1 rules on the shoe. And I'm going to touch on this outing and the pitching staff in general in a, in a little bit. But, look, it's pretty obvious. LSU has to throw more strikes. And um, we'll just dive a little bit deeper into that later. Hitting, I thought, like most of you, I would imagine, that LSU was going to be off and running uh, after the first inning. Look, Dugas leads off with a bomb. And then after that, uh, Cruz moves up to the two-hole. He gets out. But then you see – Tommy Tanks hit a missile to right center. That's a double. Morgan hits a ground ball that's going to right field to score Tommy White, but the second baseman makes an outstanding play. He dives, uh, throws Morgan out at first, and then Thompson pops up, and that's it, really. You know, that was really the end of the threat for LSU. Really, it's the rest of the game. Uh, there was nothing else to talk on. They scored another run in the fifth, but that's it, right? So uh, Auburn shut LSU down, didn't really have any good at-bats. And that's it. <laughs> Nothing else to say on that game, really. One thing I do want to point out, for this series, LSU was 23 of 101, if my math checks out, meaning the LSU hitters hit 228 for the weekend. They only scored 11 runs in those three games. Now, put that in perspective, last weekend against Alabama, who statistically has a better pitching staff than Auburn, and I would have, in terms of arms and stuff, both teams are probably what and what, right? But LSU scores 33 runs in three games versus Alabama. And this weekend, they only managed to score 11 runs. So I mentioned on the preview pod I was wrong, but statistically, Auburn's pitching staff is garbage. They just aren't very good, right? They average like seven walks per nine innings and eight and a half to nine strikeouts per nine innings. And LSU just couldn't get it going, right? Whenever Auburn thought that their pitchers were losing it, they made a change in their relievers through probably that, – that was probably some of the best that those relievers have thrown all year. And I think that's one thing that we as fans have to realize. And I know these guys know it, but this is something for you all to think about too is LSU been the consensus number one team in the country all year. Everybody knows they're going to get their best shot. But one thing you may not realize is that hitters are going to swing the bat better 
or they're going to be hyper-focused against LSU because of who they are, right? They're the number one team on the Plains just coming off a series victory against South Carolina, okay? So Nate LaRue, the dude's hitting 167, but he's going to be locked in for three games, maybe more so than he has been all year, right? They're not playing Mercer or Lipscomb or Murray State in a three-game set in early March, okay? It's the number one team in the country, and they're trying to figure out a way to get to a two-seed in a regional, all right? They know what's on the line. Uh, the relievers, Alsup and Cannon and uh, Crotchfelt and Bowman, all these dudes, when they come in, they are locked in, okay? They're going to hit the corner, right? They're going to throw breaking balls for the strike. They're not throwing balls to the backstop because they know they got Cruz and White and Morgan and Dugas, right, and Thompson and Beloso. They're going to be absolutely locked in. So these dudes are probably going to throw better than they have all year, and that's what you saw, okay? That's not always the case. But just remember, these dudes are going to be locked in for three games because of who they're playing, okay? Next weekend, Mississippi State, they're in jeopardy of making the SEC tournament. Now, they can absolutely swing it. They can't pitch it worth a crap. But don't be surprised if some guy has the outing of the year, right? Kate Smith on Friday night goes eight innings out of nowhere, okay? These things happen because they are locked in. They pay attention more, right? They concentrate more. They execute more right they bury one two breaking balls they hit the corner on a three two fastball all these little things happen right guys swing the bat more they choke up they foul off more pitches all that stuff you get what i'm saying and that's what auburn did this weekend from their pitching staff they can swing it a little bit yeah they got some guys that can swing it from a pitching staff perspective to me that's exactly what happened all right quickly my three keys to the weekend were Win Friday night versus Vail. I missed that. They moved Vail to Saturday. LSU wins Friday night anyway. When Vail threw, though, he only threw four innings, but he threw very good through four innings. The second key I had was don't let Ware and McMurray beat you, Auburn's two best power hitters. And I don't know if they beat you single-handedly. I thought Saturday and Sunday the pitching staff did a lot to really hurt LSU's chances. Uh, McMurray was one for eight through the first two games, but then he went off on game three as he goes three for four. Ware was three for eight with a home run on the weekend. So it's kind of ho-hum. They kind of pushed. I don't think they necessarily beat you. They kind of helped the calls along a little bit Saturday and Sunday. And then finally, I just touched on this for a long time, uh, allow a not very good Auburn pitching staff to be themselves. And I kind of got burnt on that one as they were very good this weekend. And uh, LSU's hitters weren't very good, but you got to tip your hat to Auburn right there. All right, what are the three big things that I learned after this weekend series on the plane? One, sometimes your biggest lessons come after losses, right? And don't roll your eyes, okay? And you know how people say uh, you never want to lose to learn a lesson. I don't believe, like, um, you know, only lessons can be learned after losses, right? I think you can learn some different things after wins. But uh, who's to say that losing this series isn't a good thing in the long term? Nobody's going to know till the end of the season whatever happens then. But you may look back in a couple weeks as they're heading into regionals and hopefully super regional play and be like, you know what? After that Auburn series, boy, they flipped a switch, okay? This is also the first time I can remember Dylan Cruz really struggling all weekend. Cruz went two for 12, and he had 167. Now, remember, he was SEC Player of the Week after Alabama. So he's allowed an off week. I doubt that'll happen the rest of the year. I think the coaches are going to probably reevaluate some things. They do that after every weekend, and we'll touch on that in a second with one of the other big things that I learned. I just wish that these dudes – they had like a six-hour bus ride to where they could stew about it, get pissed off about it, think how bad that series sucked, 
then they could just sit there and talk about it, right? The leaders can get together on the bus. There's a ton of downtime, right? Six-hour bus ride. You know, they can figure out where do they need to go as a team from here. That may be tough to do on a one-hour charter flight. That's how all these guys fly nowadays, you know? But you're on a bus, you're with your boys, you get a chance to see what other guys thought about the series, you know, what's their opinion, what could we do better moving forward? And it's just we're collectively as a team on the bus, you get a chance to say, you know what, screw that, we're going to put that in the rearview mirror, and we're just going to go out and just wreck shop the rest of the year. Put that behind us, learn from it, and realize, look, we got to be on our A game the rest of the year. It's time to start putting things together, okay? I've been there. I've been in player-only meetings. Look, I got beat 28-2, to 16-1, all that stuff. But eventually, sometimes you feel like when you get beat like this, when you really weren't competitive, a lot of times you have a chance to come together more as a team, develop even better chemistry, and figure out a way to go forward together. And I don't think it's desperation time. Don't get me wrong. It is absolutely not desperation time. They are a very good baseball team. They just had a bad weekend. It happens. Look around the country. Look in the SEC, okay? And I just think maybe at the end of the year, this was a series. You say, you know what? Thank you, Auburn, for beating us because uh, we're in the College World Series finals, you know? Who knows? Just my take. The second big thing that I learned this weekend, stay with me now. I think this analogy is going to make sense. LSU's got a little bit of a flat tire, and here's what I mean. You know when that low tire pressure warning comes on in your car, right? You see it, you think, oh, crap. But then you realize, you know, it's just a little light on air. So you go to the gas station, fill it up. Two more days later, comes on again. You go to the gas station, fill it up. You look around your tire, you can't find a nail. Three days later, it comes on. You fill it up. Then you're good for a while, right? Then all of a sudden, that one day comes, you walk out your house. You're getting ready to go to work, bring the kids to school, and you got a flat tire. That's LSU's pitching staff right now, okay? They need to do a deep dive on the pitching staff, and I'm sure the coaching staff will congregate tomorrow, and they will do that, okay? If you remove the Paul Skeens outing from this weekend, LSU's pitchers had 20 strikeouts to 15 walks. There really should be 20 strikeouts to three to five walks, okay? They're almost at a one-to-one ratio, and that is not good on any level. As I mentioned, you saw the ceiling of Ty Floyd, and when he's on and when he's great, he's really good. But you also saw his floor as well. Christian Little. You know, do they decide to run him back out there again? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. You know, if they don't run him back out there again, who do you put out there? Do you run Gidry back out there again? Do you put Hurd back in that starting spot? You know, if you put those two guys out there, do you sacrifice some back-end production or some of the guys that you've been using to kind of close games down? Do they flirt with the idea of an opener for game three? Maybe you start Cooper or Ackenhausen or Collins. And they gave you two innings or three innings. They only go one time through the order. And no matter how good they're throwing, that's it. They're out. And then you bring in the next guy. And you try to get him one time through the order, right? And then maybe you save her and you give him two or three innings, okay? I don't know. But they really need to do something because you know what? They got a flat tire. They've been living on the edge, right, with that low tire pressure system morning light flashing every couple weekends. And now it finally came back to bite them, right? They, they posted this stat a couple of times in the broadcast. I think LSU, besides Paul Skeens, they were 11-5 and five with a 7 ERA, all, of, all the other pitchers combined. And that's just not going to get it done. You would hate for something like this to happen, game two and game three, and a super regional at home. And you lose to uh, Miami or Louisville or East Carolina or Campbell. And those guys are celebrate, celebrating on your field 
when you have an unbelievable team right there in the dugout. The third big thing that I learned from this weekend, it may be time to make some defensive changes to improve the defense moving forward, but unfortunately that may come at the cost of decreasing the offensive output. And I know it wasn't great this weekend, just taking the totality of the season. LSU is currently fielding, even after this weekend, 976. So that's not bad, okay? But I think gone are the weekends when you're going to see two or three games that are just error-free, right? It's pretty much a given they're going to commit some type of an error from here on out just because that's been the trend really for about the past six weeks now. Do you see Morgan move back to first base? Or do you put Beloso at first base and keep Morgan in left? Does Kling stay in right field permanently unless he's struggling and you put Joe Bear Pearson out there, but they've been struggling with the bat, okay? Uh, It all has a domino effect, right? If you put Morgan at first, you got to do something with Beloso and Jones because they can't play the outfield. So then if you got Kling and right, you're looking at Pearson and Joe Bear. So then I guess you either DH Beloso or Jones based on probably right-handed or left-handed pitching. Or do you DH Travinsky? Because he's been swinging the bat as well. I don't know, but it's something to consider moving forward because I would hate for um, the defense to cost you a game once again, right? Say Skeens is dealing. It's two to nothing in the eighth. Then all of a sudden the defense, um, a missed pick opportunity at first, uh, a drop ball or a ground ball that goes awry, whatever, all of a sudden they cost you a game, okay, or cost you a magnificent Paul Skeens outing in game one of the Super Regional. So those are my three big things. Uh, Let me know if you agree with me or disagree with me, but um, that's kind of what I learned from this weekend. All right, starting to wrap up here on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast. How did my get right, stay right list do? Get right, I had Dugas. That was a miss for me. Dugas has been struggling. He was two for 13 this weekend, and I think he still looks hurt, right? If you look at the past nine SEC games, so that's Ole Miss, Alabama, Auburn, Dugas is five for 36, okay? Five for 36, and he is hitting 139 in the last three SEC series. I believe my math is correct on that. That's not good, okay? And I think he's still hurt in some form or fashion. I don't know if y'all noticed, but on Sunday, he fielded a ground ball late in the game. He threw it to first base, just a routine play. And after that, he kind of came up grimacing. He was grabbing his shoulder, even um, bending down on the ground, letting his shoulder hang a little bit. So I'd imagine he's still hurt in some capacity. Whatever it takes, I don't care if he sits out the next two midweek games or even a Sunday game or something, but he needs to be healthy come postseason time. He's just too important to this team moving forward. Also on the get right, get right list, Trey Morgan. That was a hit for me. Morgan was by far and away the best hitter this weekend. He went five for 13 with a home run. So that's hitting a 385 clip. So great job for Trey Morgan this weekend. Also on the get right list, Joe Bear. That was a miss. Joe Bear only played once this weekend. He went 0 for 3 with two Ks as he continues to struggle. And I would love to see him turn it around because his ability to hit home runs and his ability to uh, make things happen late in the game could be key for LSU moving forward. On the stay right list, Paul Skeens, that was a hit. We all know what he did. He was the lone bright spot from the pitching staff this weekend, maybe besides Ackenhausen and Hurd and their limited outings. But Skeens, probably going to be the national pitcher of the week. He was just a dude. Stay right, I also had the catchers. Uh, I think I'm going to call this a push. Uh, Malazzo and Travinsky would have combined three for 12, which is 250. Travinsky did have that big home run, but those guys had about, I think they had seven strikeouts between them on the weekend. And then finally, on the stay right side of things, I had Javen Coleman. That was a miss. 
coming off some uh, some really good outings recently. He just didn't have it this weekend. Um, Coleman, one inning pitch, zero hits, two runs, two earned, two walks, and a K. So I was hoping for a little more from him. And um, I'm sure he'll throw it midweek to get some work. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with him this upcoming weekend against Mississippi State. You know, do you put him in that opener role, right? Does Coleman start on Sunday? And I know he's still building up his pitch count, but does he go one time through the order? Hopefully he um, he can get you three innings, right? Because Mississippi State can swing it. And they got some pretty good lefties, you know, with Hunter Hines and I think Kellen Clark and Ledbetter. There you go right there. Those dudes are all left-handed. They can all swing it. So uh, that may be a plan moving forward is putting Coleman in that opener role. The SEC rundown. If you didn't have a chance to keep up with the SEC, I got you. Your boy has got your back right here. All right, Alabama takes a series against Vandy. So that was massive. Hats off to those guys and all that coaching mess that those guys are dealing with. But they take the series at home against Vanderbilt. So, look, I don't like Alabama, but you got to admire uh, the ability of those guys to beat Vanderbilt at home in light of their coach getting fired. Georgia takes a big series versus a hot Tennessee team. Mizzou takes a series versus Ole Miss as that dumpster fire continues. Florida drops a series against the Aggies in College Station. I didn't see that happening, but AM kind of starting to get uh, – they're kind of up and down. They were hot, so they ran into Arkansas last weekend, but AM gets a big series at home against Florida. Kentucky beat South Carolina as those guys were puffing their chest out, but they've now lost five out of their last six SEC games. So the Gamecocks are struggling a little bit, and they still got to play Arkansas, I believe. And then finally, the Hogs sweep Mississippi State in Starkville. And Arkansas, in case you're wondering, they have Vanderbilt and USC coming up as LSU continues to battle it out with Arkansas for first place in the West and really first place overall in the SEC. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's review of the LSU versus Auburn series. Up next, the Tigers host Northwestern State on Tuesday night at the box. Then they host Mississippi State in the final home series for LSU. Look, think about some of the guys that this is going to be the last chance you get to see them play an SEC series in the box, right? Skeens, Cruz, Dugas, Beloso, um, possibly Morgan and Thompson. There's probably other guys out there, but I'm missing, but that just comes off the top of my head, okay? So hopefully everybody gets out the box, makes it a great atmosphere for those guys as the Tigers look to rebound and um, hopefully uh, get at least two for Mississippi State. So be on the lookout for the Mississippi State preview series. That's going to drop Wednesday morning. So as a reminder, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I will break up the preview episode for State into two little bitty episodes as well. That'll drop Thursday and Friday. So hit me up on Twitter. The account is at 60 feet, 6 inches LSU pod. Once again, that's at 60 FT, 6 IN LSU pod. Uh, subscribe, like, comment to the YouTube channel, and catch this podcast on all major audio platforms. Thank you all for tuning in. Please, y'all stay safe out there. And until next time, as always, go Tigers.